Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? I'm great. Uh, business is finally being completed because we're at the end of the year uh but my january is looking very full i'm hoping uh that it'll keep progressing through 2023 uh but other than that trying to stay warm i'm glad that we got through our cold spell over here in kentucky uh but what about you Raphael? how's it going over there same man same it's 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 uh business is going great you know i've got a lot of activity going into 2023 so i'm really excited i think 2023 is gonna be a great uh great year uh for uh the business community as a whole even though there's a lot of sentiment right now in the economy saying oh what's gonna happen in 2023 i really think that uh you know the for the business owners that i'm talking to and investors i'm talking to they're still going forward so um excited to see how it all transpires uh but today in, in our episode uh you know jeff and i had spoken offline uh, about trying to get, uh, you know, just kind of discuss a variety of different things that are happening in the world pertaining to commercial real estate and really biz the business community and how it could potentially affect commercial real estate going forward. And so, you know, periodically, what we'll go ahead and do is we'll pull some articles. Um, and, you know, Jeff and I had convened and, you know, he came up with a couple of articles and I came up with a couple of articles. So we're going to go ahead and review some of those and just go back and forth and, and share um, our thoughts on some of the things that are happening in the broader economy. So <clears throat> one of the first articles that, you know, Jeff, Jeff actually has been focused, has focused a lot of the, the articles that he's, um, he's pulled up on manufacturing. Um, so we're this particular article that, you know, for the guys, those of you guys listening to podcast format, it's called made in America. These are some of the companies bringing manufacturing back to the U S Jeff, do you kind of want to give us a, a brief overview of, uh, you know, what the, the gist of the article is. And so on, on this particular article, um, this I, I wanted to point out to the people that are listening. This one was back in July of this year, 2022, um, that this was wrote so or written. So um, it's just explaining how the U.S. is, you know, major companies are not trying to uh, rely over uh, on production and operations and stuff overseas as much. So they're actually taking the initiative and bringing back uh, their companies here to at least North America, which uh, I'm uh, all about. Uh, and just, you know, the Russia and Ukraine conflicts, uh, now China and Taiwan has even accelerated this uh, reshoring uh, to North America, uh, to the U.S. And so uh, I'm grateful for it. I think it's a brilliant idea. I wish it happened even faster because I know when this started in actually 2010, but uh, it, it's actually finally, you, we got some traction here um, yeah. that everything's coming back from uh, like appliances and electronics, particularly semiconductors. Uh, I know Intel uh, is investing quite a bit of money uh, into the Phoenix area and they're due to open up, two, I believe, two new factories. Uh, or just one large factory in the, around the Phoenix area in 2024. 
which I think that's the very smart way to move, uh, especially in semiconductor uh, arena. Um, and then even steel is actually moving back uh, here locally. Uh, there's a company called Nucor, which is in Brandenburg, Kentucky. It's not too far. It's like less than an hour away from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and they're growing their plant, um, which I can't wait because since I'm in commercial construction, steel has always been uh, one that's lagging in shipping and manufacturing and so on and so forth. So I hope and that's really going to help the region. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's it's going back to uh, it's discussing on the Trump administration that started the trade war, yada, 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 with the tariffs and such, which is kind of forcing the hands of these manufacturers to really look into this. Um, but I'm hoping that it's not just, you know, the tariffs that they're realizing that is more than that, particularly um, that the supply chain would actually help. And moving it back home, we don't really have to worry about the subsequent issues of geopolitical issues across, you know, the pond there, per se, anywhere in the Eastern, Eastern Hemisphere. So I'm hoping... Uh, that this moves even quicker. I know it takes a lot of money and time, but uh, I'm grateful for this initiative. Yeah. And that's pretty no, I, much a brief overview of what this is. Uh, some of my opinions on it, but about you, Raphael, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And and I think, like you had mentioned, this, this is something that has been, you know, trickling slowly. And with, with the pandemic, it was very evident that what was happening in the broader landscape is that the 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 access to certain major components for these ma these these manufacturers is domestically for example like intel and other other uh you know uh, technology companies they weren't able to gain access to you know semiconductors or they weren't able to gain access to uh some of the raw materials or the components to be able to finalize the production of certain materials and so they're realizing that if something like that were to occur again, that could cause a lot of issues. And not only that, you had mentioned something related to, you know, geopolitical issues. If you're reliant on, you know, a country to produce a particular material, and for some reason there's there's a disruption based on what's been happening in the world from a political standpoint, that also could be a risk factor for business. And so, you know, this kind of, this article kind of goes to show that, you know, businesses are starting to think more globally and 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 long term and understanding that. You know, if, if, if this similar situation were to occur again, how could that potentially impact our business? And it seems like a lot of businesses are starting to say, okay, well, just to control the process better, and we believe this will be better in the long run, we need to start reshoring some of these, these more um, specific jobs and these more specific functions that could provide the raw materials and the, the components that we need to in order to, you know, uh, produce uh, whatever materials or whatever product we need to in the United States. And so I'm really excited about this trend as well. I think it's going to be great for the, the really North America as a whole. Um, and then obviously, you know, more, more local uh, to us, the new core project is going to be great um, for a variety of reasons. One being like you had mentioned in the construction space, you'll have access to, you know, these, these materials probably more readily and hopefully that have helps with, uh, you know, costs as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it will help. I know uh, labor was a big, you know, was the issue, labor cost. Um, and that's why a lot of companies moved overseas. But there might be an, a slight increase in uh, the cost of material here, which is not going to help the inflation. But I see it. I think uh, as Americans as a whole, we just need to realize that, hey, we are creating jobs here in the U.S. Um, and we're getting from our neighbors, essentially. Uh, and that's, you know, one or two dollars more 
per item or, or percentage points per item is not going to hurt to to buy essentially locally and locally meaning the U.S. North America. And sure. to me, that's I'm all for that. I don't mind paying a little more to know that I'm taking care of my neighbors uh, mm -hmm. next door and yeah, uh, not someone across the world who I've you know may never even meet or doesn't have a lot of the same values. So that's no, that's just my opinion. On it. Understandably, and you know, I think the world's also getting a lot more technical and complex in that yeah. a lot of these manufacturing plants, you know, it's no longer like the supply chains of old where you know the Ford Motor Company kind of designed the, the 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 supply line where people were staying there and your whole job was to twist this little knob and you know essentially you know it was it was very quote unquote low skill labor nowadays like with these manufacturing plants and these facilities they're becoming a lot more complex and so the jobs that they create a lot of times are are high salary high paying paying jobs they require more a more refined skill set so you know these are good jobs that are coming and they're benefiting the community as a whole like I would imagine, I know with, you know, th it wasn't mentioned here per se, but, you know, we, we have a, a big, uh, Ford invested a significant amount of money in, um, in Glendale, which is just outside of Louisville to bring a, a battery plant. And all the batteries that are produced at that particular location are going to help with the future of, you know, Ford's, you know, uh, SUV products. And so I would imagine a lot of those jobs that are produced are going to be high skilled jobs. And they're going to get paid a very good wage, and that's going to benefit the economy uh, significantly in that area. So, I want to point out too that all other majority of the other automobile manufacturers are actually uh, have announced, as particularly in this article too, that they're going to invest in manufacturers in the battery cell productions over here in the U.S. So, or at least in North America, which I'm again. It's getting closer to home, and I think geopolitical issues will no longer be an issue because now it's close to home. It's our neighbors. Um, we can quickly probably work those out since they are next door type deal. So I'm, I'm grateful for it, and I'm I'm ready to see what that's gonna how it's gonna affect the economy. I believe it's gonna help actually, even though you know it might increase a couple things here and there, but I think it'll actually help us uh, overall. And okay. in the long run, for sure. And and, and that'll benefit the, the commercial real estate community, too, because, you yeah. know, uh, 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 commercial real estate follows economic growth. So if, if jobs come to an area, there's going to be demand for space. So you're going to have, you know, people, developers coming in to develop shopping centers and retail centers. Oh, yeah, and, it's and definitely going to have that property. trickle effect, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you get it, that. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's really good to see. And I'm, I'm hopeful, um, you know, obviously that this will be a benefit to the broader economy over the next coming years. So, yeah, this is a great article. I really, I really appreciate you sharing this one. What we'll go ahead and do now is we'll go to the next article. So Jeff and I both have a couple articles that we, we shared. So we'll go to one of the articles that I uh, sent over. Um, this one is actually from a website called Retail Dive. And it tracked, uh, as part of this particular article, they're tracking retail sales from the U.S. Uh, Commerce Department. And they're just essentially saying, okay, which... How are sales year over year, you know, performing based on what's happening in the economy? And so um, overall, retail is still extremely strong. You know, the, the year over year growth is still, I think, four and a half percent compared to retail sales last year. And this is based on November. Uh, each each month they, they track and they, 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 they compare year over year growth for these different, uh, uh, you know, different months. Uh, there's a lot of businesses that have benefited from what's been happening in the economy over over time. 
the ones that aren't so much are electronics. So, you know, you think of the, you know, TV sales, cameras, you know, that sort of thing. Those have actually fallen uh, by 5.6% year over year. Home goods sales also fell. Uh, department store sales fell by 2.7%. Uh, but the ones that have actually gained traction, uh, apparel, which is somewhat surprising to me, you would figure, you know, it just, it's just not one of the things that people normally think of when it comes to, you know, producing at a high level. They've rose. Sporting goods sales have rose, risen by 3.5%. And then store sales overall have risen by 3.2%. And I think from a store sales perspective, you know, people are starting to get out there a lot more. Um, and I think that's just, you know, what, what you're starting to see. There has been a significant drop-off in online sales as compared to in-store sales. And that's just a function of, you know, things opening back up. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, one of the things that you'll see, and I'm sure in other markets, this is common, like, you know, furniture stores, there's a lot of furniture stores starting to close. Um, you know, the reason for it, I'd imagine is one furniture is very capital intensive. You need to have a lot of furniture, uh, you know, to be able to offer to your potential clientele. And that ties up a lot of money within the business. And then you're starting to have to compete now with the Ikeas and other furniture stores that can just deliver product at a lot cheaper than the average furniture store can. So margins have begun to shrink and, you know, you're starting to see a lot more furniture stores and appliance stores and electronics not being able to compete. And so, you know, one of the things they talked about in this particular article was that, you know, those trends are probably going to continue. So you're probably going to see furniture stores continue to close. I know we, I've seen a couple recently that have, that have closed. Um, and how do you repurpose that now? It's just the good thing about furniture stores is just a big box. So you have like eight to 10,000 square feet of space that just, you know, used to house a bunch of furniture in, in the middle. Whereas now, if you take that store, what can you do with it? Maybe you can create like a little strip center, right? A redevelopment, or you can, you know, chop it up in some way or demolish and rebuild. Like, you know, there's different ways to approach that whole process. So I found this article super interesting. And I think one of the, the crux of the article is that, you know, retail is still strong. Um, we, they don't know exactly what it's going to look like in 2023, but based on even the, the interest rate hikes we've experienced this year, uh, retail in e-commerce and, and, and just sales overall have not slowed down too much. So I'm kind of surprised just glancing over it. Uh, I know that they said that e-commerce rose 7.7% year over year, but I wonder if they, if that was a factor of COVID with people, sitting at home and ordering and that's what pushed the numbers higher than what you know yeah. normal retail was and that's what and, i was yeah and and the, the year over year growth for e-commerce is from 2021 to 2022 so from 2019 to 2020 there was a boom in online sales so yeah. it got up to like 25 or 30 i don't know how much but it got up to significant yeah. significant numbers prior to covid i think total online sales were like 14 or 15 percent and I think it bumped up to um, in excess of 25% at one point. And then now it, it, in 2020, there was a significant drop off in e-commerce because things started to open back up. So I, I don't think, I think one thing to, to consider is that, you know, online is just going to become a bigger part of our everyday life, but there is still a strong demand for in-person retail. And at some point you're going to reach an equal, equilibrium point. There's going to be a moment in time in the future where, online sales and in-person store sales meet an equilibrium. And there's just kind yeah. of a balancing act right there. Cause not everyone's going to want to buy stuff online, you know, or, or, yeah. you know, there's certain things that you may or may not want to do. So. And on another note, uh, you were discussing that electronics, home goods, and just overall department stores fell. And I, I believe that had a lot to do with people being at home, 
they're kind of bored. Hey, they need to, they've been putting off redecorating their home. So they just went ahead and got online and ordered everything. And, and so that's why 2022, not that many people were buying things because they were doing that in 2020, 2021. So that, that's just my take on it. I believe that is why you see that their numbers fell, unless it's a supply chain issue in electronics, but I'm not yeah, sure. I, uh, I think, really... I think, I think a lot of the electronics, like people just buy online, you know, I, I mean, yeah. most of the time I'm not going to go to bet. Like I rarely go to Best Buy or I really go to I mean, like, Look at Radio Shack. Radio Shack went out of business many years ago as well. And, you know, I think it's just a sign of the times. I really think that the new norm is that people buy these products online most of the, most of the time. I do a lot of research online and then I look at the three or four different items I want to buy. And then I go to, you know, eBay or Amazon or whatever to buy it. Uh, and in furniture, I think a big part of that is Ikea. I think Ikea is really, you know, yeah. taking over. I mean, it's already has. It's, I mean, it's been there forever, but I'm just saying that, you know, from a from an economics perspective, they just can't keep up with the with the the pressuring of of margins in that industry. So no, uh, Best Buy um, is actually redoing their floor layouts and adding different things that they haven't sold in other years, uh, and they're taking away several departments. Uh, like uh, they used to have uh, radio installs and stuff like that, and now they may still have it, but the section is not a full shelf or a full aisle anymore it's it's uh definitely has shrank so i think they are following the trends like you said and i think a lot of the people are um companies in general especially like best buy is, is going to online sales i, I believe that we're going to see best buy decrease their footprints in retail they're going to you know cut it to you know two-thirds and then down to a third and unfortunately i think they could be on the trend of uh like you said radio shack uh yeah but because they're all their sales are going to be online, they'll just have a big warehouse somewhere and distribute uh, their sales from there. Yeah, yeah. I think, and the, you you get you you actually highlighted a great point is that you know retail footprints are shrinking across the board. I mean, you're seeing it in you know historically restaurants used to be a lot bigger footprint, and now you're starting to see more and more concepts that are that are coming out that have even a more condensed footprint. You know, I work a decent amount with yeah. franchises and, you know, a lot of their footprints are like a thousand to fifteen hundred, maybe two thousand square feet. And that's really focused on the the pick up and go and, you know, drive through if they have drive throughs, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, you're even starting to see it like, you know, with coffee. I know scooters is a big, uh, big thing out here and it's become a big thing out here. I, I, it's not originally from Kentucky, per se, but, you know, they've definitely um, expanded pretty rapidly over the last several years. And literally all scooters is, is like how, how many square feet is it? Like 400, I don't know, five, six, 500 square feet, maybe. And they, yeah, they build them. They, they, they just like, yeah, it's a pre manufactured building that they ship in. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I dealt with a couple of scooters. I, I didn't get the job, but I bid the job. They just, they just need a site built out, a parking lot just for a drive through, uh, maybe a couple of parking spaces for their employees who work inside, but it's literally a drive through that they built. And you don't really need that much room to, to run that. If, if you ever rent in a Starbucks, I mean, you just literally cut out. The whole front counter there and then the drive through section and boom you have you know a coffee shop essentially a drive through coffee shop yeah, yeah. no less but uh i wanted to real quick jump back to uh like uh other retail tractor supply best buy i also have realized and seen through uh bid costs on the commercial construction side that they're actually growing their uh warehouse side of each store so that's why their footprint on the retail side is shrinking is because the backside is actually growing because they want that, that inventory to be, to be at the store. So, uh, 
I know Tractor Supply has taken initiative in all their stores. The retail part of it is shrinking. Like I think the the most I've seen was like four thousand square feet, and that's becoming their warehouse essentially. They're yeah. they're housing more more product just behind the wall. So yeah, and that's I think and we're that's... gonna we're gonna see that too. I I think maybe that would be the first step, and then the actual whole of like retail will just they'll have to move out because they'll essentially turn into a full warehouse and you can't be in a, a distribution center in a retail center. So, yeah, but, well, they get, they get repurposed. I mean, at some point, yeah. you know, and I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, that kind of lends itself back to the, the whole uh, distribution of products, yeah. you know, because last mile delivery, which is, I know a buzzword for a lot of people is, is, the, is by far the most expensive, uh, thing that people that retailers have to deal with online and, and otherwise so you know getting that product from the, the the whatever distribution center that is at to you know the, the the customer that is by far the most expensive so you know if you can have it all on site that obviously limits the the impact that that may have on your bottom line and then also you know from a um from the perspective of you know just having that inventory ready to go for clients when they walk in I mean, that, that creates that convenience factor. So, well, cool. So that was a good, that was a good discussion on this article. So next up, we'll go ahead and go to uh, another article. Uh, so this one is related to delivering the U.S. manufacturing renaissance. Uh, this is a McKinsey article. It's actually quite, uh, quite long, but it's, uh, but it's very in-depth and, and uh, quite comprehensive about some of the, some of the initiatives that a lot of these business owners, the business community, because they've interviewed a bunch of different you know, people in the business community talk about things that they're seeing or projecting for the future. And so, you know, that's kind of highlighting this article. If you can scroll back up to that chart would be a good first one. Uh, one. Yeah. Right now for everyone that's listening, uh, this is a chart. It's uh, manufacturing creates outsized economic impact in the U S and it has the, you know, what the workforce is, the net capital stock, productivity, the GDP of manufacturing, what patents have went through to stir growth, uh, productivity growth, exports, and then R&D spending. Uh, And what one for me that really stands out is the R&D spending, um, because there have been multiple uh, laws and credits that's been in place to help grow the R&D sector of all manufacturing. And I think that's, we're we're not going to see that right away, but I believe uh, you know, five, 10 years from now, that's really going to benefit uh, manufacturing as a whole uh, yeah. here. So I'm looking forward to see where that goes. Uh, I know the CHIPS Act was one for the semiconductors to move that back. And I believe that's what's helped Intel make the decision to open those two new plants up in around Phoenix. Uh, and it's actually, you know, sped up the the process and which I'm grateful for that. I know I, I keep going back to semiconductors, but that's just, I mean, if you think about it, if you're listening to this on a radio, if you're listening to this on a smartphone, uh, on a laptop, however, you know, there's the semiconductor in there somewhere. Uh, there's processing chips and everything that we're going to need. So bringing it back home is vital. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the R and D. I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's how innovation takes place. And, and that R and D, those R and D dollars are going to go towards creating uh, machinery and technology to refine the process, to make it more affordable for us to produce lo- domestically. And, and ultimately that, that lends itself to the consumer. So, you know, if you're, 
manufacturing steel, for example, you know, I'm sure that some of these steel manufacturers are, are investing heavily in technology to try to refine that process. And, you know, one of the biggest inputs for steel, I mean, one of the biggest uh, purchasers of steel is, it, it means for, for build, buildings, right? So from a commercial real estate standpoint, it's, it's, it's going to benefit our industry immensely because now it's like, okay, well, hopefully the cost of producing or constructing a, a, a property or, you know, a, a complex or whatever becomes a lot more, uh, you know, in line, you know, so. If anybody wants to look at this, their source, uh, McKenzie Company, is the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics is where they uh, form this chart. So if you want to deep dive into that, that's their source. So And we'll, we'll include these these links in the show notes as well. So if you guys are wanting to, you know, check these out, go ahead in the show description. So if you're listening to us on Spotify, you'll see on the bottom. And if you're listening to this in an Apple podcast format, you'll see that as well. So um, any other particular insights that you thought were pretty beneficial? From, we can go uh, to the, uh, you can go back up to the next chart that mm-hmm. helps out a lot. Um, this right here is just like how the, this next chart is um, an effective transformation of the U.S. manufacturing sector could boost GDP by 200. 75 billion to 460 billion while adding up to one and a half million uh, jobs. I think that's huge. Um, we're looking at a chart here that's uh, it shows the different sectors, um, which it looks like uh, semiconductors is the big one, a uh, big one. Um, and then they have other skill based industries. That's a, a, another one um, in, in this uh, chart here. Um, and I just want to point out that moving these back is going to boost the GDP overall and supply jobs by moving all these back. I mean, that, that it just, that's just what's going to happen. There's no way around it. Um, mm-hmm. But, and I, I can't wait. Uh, they even said that the, the oper- they're showing the incremental opportunity by 2030 as well in this chart, um, which I believe uh, these are opportunity statistics is now that I'm looking more into it. So yeah. um, I, I believe that, I mean, you're looking at, the additional optimistic opportunities is at 185 and then the low end opportunity is 275. So they're hoping that they get, you know, well above 400, but they for sure are going to get right at 300 billion increase uh, by bringing all these jobs back. So, and that's, and that's, you know, you know, that's GDP. So GDP is gross domestic product. That's, that's on a a yearly basis. Like this is, this is how it's going to contribute to the economy over a year over year going forward. And this is obviously um, only 2030. I mean, that's right around the corner. It's not that far away. No, not at all. Just by doing the growth. Yeah. It's going to be amazing to see, definitely to see that. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's great. And and like I said, this article is very comprehensive. It talks about sustainability and how they're tackling that issue. You know, it talks about some of the digitization, I should say of manufacturing and some of the things that they're you know, initiatives they're taking on from a, from a business community standpoint. And then one of the things that's cool that I know you had mentioned is the, the, the skilled labor. I mean, it's becoming a lot more, you know, heavy skill focused, these jobs. I mean, they're no law, not gone are the days that you sit at a, you know, chair and you just twist a, you know, a, a lug nut for in, in the process. I mean, there's still, I'm sure there's still going to be some of that going on, but that is shrinking significantly over time. Now it's machinery, that is going to be handling a lot of this function. And now you as an operator has to be, have more skills as far as being able to work with that machine or maybe even operate that machine to, you know, perform a certain function. So I think a lot of that 
the skill is actually coming with the technology advancements that we're going into manufacturing yeah. finally. Um, and so the, a lot of training, uh, I think his name is Moser and he's, uh, one of the CEOs or president of, uh, the reshoring acts and the reshoring org. And he was stating something like this as well is that you're going from low skill manufacturer jobs. Now it's going to mid to high skilled because you're bringing in technology, robotics and such to help speed up the process, keep the human element in, in, involved, but give them technology robotics to speed up the process where now their output can be, you know, a hundredfold what they originally had. So, um, but they need to know all the systems and everything in place to keep that machine uh, robotics, et cetera, running properly. So that's, I think what Raphael was going into is that's where the skill is now coming into play because of that. So. Absolutely. And, and that, because it's a higher skill job now, this, the, the wages, the, the salaries yeah. are higher. I mean, they're, these are very high paying jobs. I mean, you know, historically, if you were to look at manufacturing, you know, decades and decades and decades ago, they may have not been as well, well paying because of the, the, the skill required, but now the, with these reshoring efforts, I mean, these are very, very lucrative jobs that you can get. And so, you know, anyone who's considering a career, a lot, a lot of times this was not necessarily something people want to do, but now it's like, oh, wait, you can make significant money doing, you know, these types of, you know, manufacturing roles. And, you know, you could, you could provide a great life for your family. And ultimately that's, that's, um, you know, a trend that I see continuing going forward. So next up, so that was a good one. The next up is, is one that I found super cool. Um, so you know, AI and, and, and technology, other types of technical uh, or, or softwares have, have started to infiltrate the, the broader business economy. Uh, one that I saw recently, which was pretty cool, um, is a AI platform that helps you measure uh, your, 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 you know, your, your measurements for your suits or your, your shirts or whatever else. And uh, yeah. yeah, so, so, you know, th th this is actually this technology has been adopted from my understanding. I think well, Men's Warehouse uh, does or or utilizes this particular technology. But, you know, th the logic is, is that you, you can get these measurements done through this platform and it's it's accurate within a very, very close margin, because one of the biggest problems with, um, you know, online retailers in, in particular is that I think it was like, let me, let me look at exactly, but it was saying that uh, when it comes to online purchases, 12.2% of clothing is returned. And more than half of the time, that's because the items don't fit. So you think, you know, 12.2% of all purchases, that's, that's a significant number. If you're talking millions and millions and millions of transactions that so 12.2% of all clothing is returned if it's an online purchase. And then half the time, so six point four percent or six and change percentage is because it didn't fit. So if you can eliminate, you know, that six percent delta, I mean, that's going to cost that's going to save you millions and millions and millions of dollars of shipping fees and, you know, lost time. And they even said here, most of the products that get returned don't get sold because they they for some reason, either they're they're either damaged or they're out of style because, you know, especially in retail with apparel, fashion changes constantly. So if they can't immediately there sell it thereafter, a lot of times it just doesn't get sold. So the cost to a lot of these these companies is significant. And so if you can, you know, shrink the the the, the variability when it comes to, you know, your product uh, fitting, 
then you just hopefully save yourself, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And, and you know, you gained a 6% efficiency increase as a result of you taking that on. And, and the company itself is called Bold Metric. I'm sure... I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other companies that do something similar or, or are trying to fill that particular need, but I, I just read this article and I was like, this is so cool. I mean, this is got, this is like, you know, the type of stuff that I find interesting. So. Well, one thing that I've taken from it is uh, there's apps being created the same as what this is that creates a 3d avatar for when you actually go into a store, you can try on clothing by just simply taking a photo of it while you're there and you can see how it fits on your body by using your avatar and there's no longer needs for dressing rooms. So imagine bringing up all the dressing rooms in a retail where they could put, you know, product essentially. That's a that's going to be an amazing add-on to everyone. I know Draper there uh, was acquired by Gap, so they've been getting into it in 2021. Uh, and then there's an app called My Size ID as well that's in this article uh, that's doing the photos. You take a photo of it, and it creates basically an avatar of your body, and you get to see what it looks like. Uh, when you're wearing it, I mean, the, the time of the time and efficiency, this is going to request. Um, I will think that it might take away some responsibilities of the labor force there where they don't have to count how many articles of clothing and theft and all that. And this would actually help with the theft because there's no longer a changing room where you can go and hide clothing. Uh, I think there's some good benefits to this. Um, I don't see it taking away too many jobs in the near future, uh, but I think it will help. Like you said, Raphael, with the shipping, uh, the people, the clothing that doesn't fit and, and all that. And so that's going to free up. Uh, just imagine that that time that it takes to ship back a piece of article of clothing from a uh, shipping company. Uh, now they can spend that, you know, actually shipping something that someone's not going to return. Take that time and use it a little bit better. So I think productivity yeah. as far as shipping goes uh, with uh Amazon and UPS and FedEx and all those, it's actually going to help out. So this is a pretty uh, neat article. Uh, I can't wait to start seeing it. I'm sure we're going to go into uh, a store and it's going to scan your body and then they're going to show you a 3D or just a screen and it's going to show what you're going to look like in you know, this, that new suit that's just came out. So I don't see that being too far. No. No, in a couple of your years, I'm sure we're going to walk in and that's what's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And they create, like you said, the 3D model and everything. That'd be, I mean, that's super cool. I mean, um, I feel like that's coming. Oh, it's going to. This yeah, is yeah. like the first step. And then all they need is a huge screen when you walk in and some high def cameras. Boom, they scan you. Now you walk in and you're like, oh, wow, I look really nice in that suit. And I you mean, could just, you could probably, you know, at some point you could just pick, oh, let, let's, let's try this yeah. on. Oh, let's try this on. Yeah. And you just, Oh yeah. 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 No, it's super it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the technology I've saw, you know, we went to that, I went to that conference in New York well, in 2021 and, you know, I saw some obviously more so specifically focused to commercial real estate, but some of the things that I saw was like, wow, this is, it's really cool that you could actually do this stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of in, very brilliant, intelligent people that are trying to solve problems in the economy. And, you know, obviously, you know, this, this particular um, technology is going to benefit the retail industry immensely. Um, and you know, how does that affect commercial real estate? Well, you know, like you said, you may, you may be able to shrink some footprints because if you don't need a dressing room or whatever else, then you may be able to kind of, you know, not necessarily have to take up so much space and you still get the benefit of having a physical store, but maybe instead of being 3000 square feet or 2,500 square feet, now you can take, you know, a thousand 
And, yeah. you know, there's just a lot less wasted space because a lot of that is going to be happening either online or if they come in the store, then you could have that digital avatar that they can reference when they're getting dressed. So yeah, this is going to be a pretty uh, cool technology. I'm not all for every AI project that's out there um, mm-hmm. that's taking away jobs, but this one I think is going to be is actually going to benefit humans, civilization as we Huge. know it. Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> it's going to be- benefit humans. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you know what I don't see on here where they have a clothing uh, algorithm or 3D avatar for your animals. So if someone's listening, and you're great at designing something, an app, uh, you might want to do that because yeah. it doesn't mention it anywhere in here. And yeah, I know my... a lot of people spend a lot of money on outfits for their animals. So you're telling me, man. Melly bought Melly bought a Christmas sweater for our dog a while back, and I was just like so embarrassed. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like you're dressing our our pet. I mean, it, it it makes sense. It makes sense. Hey, and I'm not knocking anyone who does. Um, it's yeah. just I remember walking in one day last year, and she was wearing this Christmas sweater, and I was like, what? <laughs> Where you guys head into a ugly Christmas sweater party? So you gotta take that. No, uh, no she just saw she you. saw she saw the Christmas sweater, and she's like, oh, that's really cute. And so she bought it, and then she put it on her, and I just walked in. I said, okay, well, I guess she's wearing a Christmas sweater. So, well, so if he was smart, if, was if like, you're listening to this, yeah. Yeah, we have an idea. We can possibly make the app for you. Just call us. Yeah. Well, we'll call we'll call the we'll call the uh, bold metrics. We'll make this deal happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll make like, this hey, deal guys, happen. We got a great idea for you. All right. Um, I, I was gonna pull up your article. I don't I don't I don't have it. Uh, I didn't get it in the email for some reason. But uh, we'll go ahead and just move on to this one real quick, and then we'll yeah. wrap it up. But uh, as the this this particular article is is somewhat retail focused in that. This gentleman, uh, Brian Wong, was one of the first Americans hired by Alibaba. Now, if you don't, you guys don't know Alibaba, it was, it's still, I mean, it is one of the largest online companies for, you know, distribution of products in the world. Uh, it started off as a B2B company, strictly focused on, you know, providing, you know, products and stuff to businesses. And now it's it, it expanded and there's a bunch of subsidiaries. And, you know, now it's become, you know, the pretty much direct competition with Amazon. Um, and so one of the things that this article talks about is like the differences in consumer trends between the U.S. and China and how the adoption of digital technology or uh, the digitization of retail, I should say, was actually adopted uh, a lot quicker in China than it has been over here. And so, you know, he talks a little bit about, you know, some of the differences between how e-commerce is conducted in, the, in China versus the U.S. Um, one of the more uh, enlightening uh is one of the more enlightening facts is that, you know, as, as I mentioned before, Alibaba started as a B2B company and, you know, the idea of buying things online in China at the time, you know, earlier in the two thousands, it was just kind of like a foreign concept. It just, no one did it. It was not a very common thing. And now um, as of 2021, um, the, the, you know, singles day in China is essentially the same as prime prime day and the singles day is the, the, for from a retail standpoint is very similar and the singles day revenue compared to prime day was um so singles day in 2021 which is the the equivalent of let's say prime day in in for amazon was 84.5 billion dollars which was seven times more than the global revenue generated by amazon on prime day it's unbelievable i mean the, the amount of money that that is generated on this day is absolutely amazing and 
you know, as, as it mentions in the rest of the article, like the retail sector in, in, in China, you know, the, the, the payment processing and everything is all digital now. You know, you can order stuff digitally, which I know here is becoming more of a trend in fast food restaurants and such. That's very common over there, apparently. So, again, the, the, the main gist of this article and why I found it very interesting is because it talks a lot about consumer trends and, and, and how the, the, the consumer in China operates differently than the consumer in the U.S. or the West. And that makes, a di- that makes a difference. I mean, retail is really psychology. How do people buy products and exchange goods? And the way that things are done in certain environments are going to be different than done in certain environments. So if you understand that as a, as a business, you can tailor your, your product or your service or whatever to attract or, or you know, potentially benefit from a new environment. So I found it uh, very interesting. And uh, yeah. Yeah, those numbers uh, are astounding. Seven times more than prime day. And that's like, I, but I guess uh, not being, you know, in the Eastern civilization compared to where we're in Western, uh, we find that hard to believe, but I mean, let's be, face it. There are more consumers in the Eastern hemisphere than sure. there are in the Western. Uh, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So if Three you look times. at it like that, just like people, um, mm-hmm. I think that's probably why they're getting seven times more. <laughs> Maybe. That I is, mean, there's there's three times astounding. more. There's three times more people in China than there are in in and U.S. on average. I mean, it's it's yeah. I think it's maybe three to three and a half or something like that. Uh, but, you know, same with India. Yeah. Yeah. India. I think I mean, I don't know if this they're, is true they're, or not. They're, 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 like they're two close. And a half, three. Yeah. I think it's I think crazy. they maybe. I think they may. No, no, they're they're I think at one and change. But I, they, it, I think they're close to eclipsing China as the largest country. I, I'm not sure exactly. Don't quote me on that. But they're very close. Um, and that's another topic there for sure. That's a variety of reasons. Yeah. But it's insane that they're eclipsing China with their land. Well, no, with, with, with population, with population. No, no, no. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it goes back to like land. Where do you hold all those people? I mean, mean, India is not as large as China. I I don't know. No, it's not. Don't quote me on this, but it's just looking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like half the size and you're going to like, Wow. It's close. It's close. And don't quote me on the numbers, but it's, it's getting there. It's very close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think part of it too is, is the rapid industrialization of China. I mean, realistically, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, let's say 40, 50 to 60 years ago, it was a predominantly agrarian society. And then with, with Mao, with the great leap forward, there was a big push for the industrialization of China and in the the subsequent years, they started opening up more trade with the rest of the world. And the, the, the middle class in China has grown immensely. I mean, compared to where it was 50 to 60 years ago. And so you're as, as, as the cost, as the, the quality of life improves, right. And people have more disposable income, they spend money, right. People want to buy goods and services that they couldn't necessarily afford before, which they now can. And so with the, the expansion of the middle class in China, you're starting to see these types of trends where it's like, okay, yeah, we're getting seven times more revenue on a particular day, it, which is equivalent to the prime day in, in the U.S. Than, than what you would see it just in the United States. And you would historically think, oh, well, with the U.S. being as, as affluent and prosperous as it is, that wouldn't be the case. But you know, China's got a, a very large middle class that, is, is, that has a strong demand for product and services. So actually uh this article points out that how china is actually uh further along than us and when it comes to technology uh because mm-hmm. brian wong states here 
in this article that when it comes to payments, sometimes forget to bring my wallet with me because everything now in China is done through the mobile phone. There's manless restaurants with no waiters that will come take your order. So I think, and then he also states that the QR code is omnipresent. So, I mean, everywhere you go, you can just use your phone to make purchases and, and all this. So I think China, or the U.S. is following that. They're going slower uh, because I, I just believe that's just the consumer base that we have. Um, but they're saying that, uh, or Brian Wong states that everything kind of moves to the digital because they're just making it more efficient and more direct. And uh, I think that right there just shows you um, where the U.S. is going. Um, I, I would be curious to see. I want to research this once we get off here, but I want to look into that with China and see how they're doing that and how their consumer is reacting to that. Uh, is it actually more efficient, more direct, or are there still hiccups in the technology that's causing you know, delays and such? Yeah, no, they worked all those out. Yeah, I don't know. It, there, there may very well be, you know, hiccups here and there, but from a, from an efficiency standpoint, I think it comes down to like workforce. Like, if you can, yeah. you know, just as an example, with with quick service restaurants, like if you can only have two employees on site as opposed to having ten or twelve or thirteen that have to come to tables or whatever else, like that in and of itself is a, an efficiency improvement because you save on, you know, operational efficiency with, with wages and then reliability of employees. I mean, in today's, unfortunately, today's society, it's been very tough to find, you know? So I think, if you know, the, it does. I'm very curious. I'm, I definitely want to research and how they're doing that manless restaurants. Cause I know it's coming here. I know McDonald's has, is now a manless uh, restaurant. Uh, I don't know if it's here in the U S but that's what I've read. Um, but I'm curious to why, um, you have your, you know, contactless things. If you walk into a fast food restaurant, they're bringing those in. So you come in mm -hmm. and you can yeah. do the touchscreen. But I'm very curious to why they don't have that in the drafter. I mean, somebody could easily reach their arm out and touch a screen and, and order food. And I feel like that would help as far as the efficiency goes. You know, yeah. you're getting exactly I, what you want it. You type it in on the screen. And, yeah. yeah. And especially if you can use your phone to pay right there. Oh, yeah. So if you could just literally click, oh, I want this, this, and this, and then you just scan your phone or you you have Apple Pay and you just hover over it and you pay for it, then, you know, that would make it super easy because then you don't need a cashier sitting there taking your order and whatever else. Then that becomes less of a bottleneck. And now you can maybe relocate them back back of house to produce more. Um, mm -hmm. But but again, I think that goes to, sh goes to what you had talked about earlier about consumer, con our, our consumers, right? Some Some people... I mean, again, a lot of people here like to have that that personal, you know, attention, the, 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 the concept of having, you know, just it being digital all the time. In particular, you know, generationally, it's different, right? So in our generation, maybe, maybe we're a little bit more receptive to that than maybe an older generation would be. So, again, I think it's, it's a trending in that direction for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about that at all. But, you know, who knows when that actually manifests itself? Yeah, I'd love, I mean... I definitely like once we get done with this podcast, I'm going to research that. I'm just curious to see how far along that is. Um, I know if any of the younger in the commercial industry, I think if you want to get into uh, researching and get into a new sector that's going to be coming out in robotics, uh, you know, finding companies who do robotics and being able to house them and find their warehouses and production and all that. I think uh, that, that could be something that's coming down the pike, especially here in the U.S. So I'd love to talk to someone out there if you're listening and you do have dealt with that robotics companies in the commercial sector i would love to 
get you on the podcast and discuss more into this. So no, I mean, I, and I think I'm glad we were able to do this. I, like I said, this is this was our first attempt at this, and I think it went great. I think we we had a great ban- discussion about some very prevalent topics and important topics in the commercial real estate lands, really the business and economic landscape that now also affects commercial real estate. And so we're looking forward to doing more of these in the future. Um, and we'd like to hear your guys's, you know, thoughts. If you guys have any articles or anything you'd like us to touch on during these discussions, we would obviously greatly appreciate you guys reaching out and sharing that because Jeff and I love this type of stuff. So, you know, we'd be happy to, you know, research a little bit on it and then talk about it like we have just now. So, um, definitely consider us. This is, uh, I believe it's, uh, like a, a year end, uh, episode here. And I just wanted to say, and I know Raphael is going to back me up on this. Just thank you for all the guests, uh, especially you listeners. Our growth has been exponential, uh, this year. It's been a great year. Uh, we're very appreciative uh, of all the support and, uh, you guys sharing the podcast. That's very much helped. And, uh, doing the five-star reviews. That's just, I mean, the growth, uh, Raphael could probably tell you the stats on that, but it's been, it's been like a rocket this year. And, uh, I know we're both grateful for it. So we appreciate that. That you're Absolutely. Helping. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, we wouldn't be here without you guys and your consistent, consistent, uh, you know, listening in and supporting our, our podcast. I mean, it, it is a lot of work, uh, putting these things together yeah. and distributing them and making sure that, you know, we produce at a high quality. And so the fact that you guys are continuing to engage and, 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 uh, you know, reflect with the podcast is just awesome. So continue to do that. Uh, you know, obviously we wish you guys a great year next year or this coming year, I should say, by the time we, we push this live, it will be the new year. Um, so, you know, we do wish you the, the very best in 2023. Uh, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, obviously we would greatly appreciate it if you could like and subscribe to this channel. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message along with that. If you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, please leave us a five-star review. It makes the world of difference in our ability to reach a broader audience. Uh, and consider sharing this episode with someone who you think would would be it would be of interest to or someone who would gain value from it. So again, thank you all so much for stopping by and we'll see you all next time. 